Okay, so today on AIS Podcast, we have Steve Tankersley of Tankersley Construction. Uh, he is an award-winning contractor in the greater Sacramento area. And Steve, thanks for coming. Give us a little bit about yourself, your company, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Ryan. I, I, thanks for having me on your podcast, too. And sorry I couldn't be out there today in person. I was really hoping to get down there, but we got crazy rains in Northern California, so decided to stay off the roads. Um, you know, just a little bit about us and our company and myself. Um, you know, you and I, we crossed paths on, on Instagram a couple of years back. I think we started our businesses around the same time. Um, you know, I, I live in Sacramento. Uh, most of our work is in the Sacramento region. Um, actually, all of our work is. And I grew up in the Bay Area, moved up here in about 2003, went to Sacramento State, and I grew up in construction. My dad owned a, a plumbing company. He was a chuck in a truck. And I helped him on the weekends and I was sweating pipe under houses. And uh, when I graduated high school, he told me, he goes, hey, don't go in the trades. You know, don't be like me. You'll be your back will be broken. Your knees will be broken. Go to school. Right. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to school. And uh, Sac State had a catalog of of uh, majors. I know what I wanted to do. And I was, I was like, oh, some business. Oh. Looked at this as a construction management. Well, that sounds cool. It's construction and management, right? And like that's what I want to do. So I went to, to school for construction management at Sacramento State. I uh, graduated uh, after seven years of college. Um, it wasn't an easy path, um, and uh, I was never the uh, the best student. But I ended up graduating with with honors. Um, it took me seven years. It took me a while to get my feet. Um, and at that time I was in commercial construction. I did a little heavy civil. So I did some bridge work, um, got my, you know, after a degree in engineering and, uh, they said, I don't really like bridge work. So I got into commercial construction and, uh, I worked for some really large, uh, commercial builders up in Sacramento and I graduated in 2010. And if you guys know, you know, 2010 was not the best time to graduate in college looking for a job. So I think six months after I graduated, I got laid off um, and I ended up having to go work in the Bay Area. So it's about a two hour commute each way. Um, I was commuting for about a year and a half to uh, East Richmond uh, from Elk Grove, California. And uh, I said, you know, this isn't working and the economy started getting better. And I got a job up here and where I worked until about 2017 and uh I was laid off again, 2017. So, um, you know, that's kind of where the story started with Tanker City Construction. Um, I remember driving home and I called my wife. We had a two-year-old at home and uh, she was pregnant, six months pregnant. And I said, I just lost my job. At that time, I had my contractor's license. I was doing kitchen and bathroom modeling kind of on the side for some family and friends on the weekends. And um, she said, well, hey, start the company. So this was late 2017 and uh i sat down went to my office and i was like okay i got a pregnant wife at home i got a two-year-old what do i do and uh it's kind of just you know things happen for a reason i got a call from a good friend and his sister needed a kitchen remodel and it ended up being a really good project it was a like it was a hundred thousand dollar kitchen remodel and um said hey uh, you know you have your license he didn't know i got laid off you know i was doing this you know you have your license i knew your kitchen's on the side could you do this project I said, absolutely, we can do it. Um, did that project and really just took off from there. So that first year in business was 2018. We just started hiring employees. And it, I kind of, I tell people I kind of fell into it. I never really had the courage to, to quit my job and start this company. 
Um, and uh, 2019, we were up to about five employees. And at that time, um, really needed some help at the, uh, at the company. And my wife, we met in construction. She was a project manager for a big electrical company. So I said, hey, look, I need my first project manager. I'm either going to hire someone, it's going to be you. Which one do you want to do? So she, uh, she took the leap. She quit her job and she joined us in 2019. And uh, she, once she joined, that was like gasoline on the fire. And she brought in all the processes and the operations. And that's where she is today. So she's our VP operations. And I do all the marketing and sales and customer acquisition. Nice, man. Um, great story, too. And you and your wife, that's a, that's a construction power team, if I've ever seen one. Uh, <laughs> you guys are both incredibly smart people. I had a really good time when I went up there, met you guys, and talked shop for a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember... We found you guys on social media, I think it was, because that was my job too, is, you know, marketing. I want to see what contractors are doing out there. And uh, actually, I called a few designers. I'm like, hey, what's up with this Tankersley construction up here? And then I went to a, a, a function up there and I talked to Pepper Jack Interiors and a few other you know, people who, who know you guys. And um, they're like, oh, they're the best. Like, they're the best contractor in this area. And I'm like, sweet. Not to put words in their mouth. They might not have said it like that, but... I'm biased. You guys are a really good outfit, really good company. And that's kind of the big topic I want to jump in today is why you're here, right? Um, kind of our why, our purpose in our business, um, how we expand customer experience, the issues in the industry that, you know, it's our mission to solve. And um, give me a glimpse of that, right? Because coming from commercial, mm -hmm. a whole different world, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit more black and white in the commercial world where when you're in someone's home working on you know, sometimes a upwards of million dollar renovation, it's a very intimate you know, type experience for that homeowner. What have you found in your business that customers really cling to and, and really bring service in that way? Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from commercial construction, we kind of have a tagline. We're, like, we're, you know, we're commercial contractors doing residential work. A lot of people might know what that means, might not know what that means. And you just back up a little bit, you know, in commercial construction, the expectation and it's not the norm, it's the norm, but it's not everywhere. But the expectation is that, hey, you're delivering, um, you know, a critical path schedule. Um, you're, you're maintaining that schedule. You're having weekly meetings with the owner and the designer. And you're um, writing RFIs, which are requests for information. And you're putting your questions in writing. And you, these are things that are just, this is the norm in commercial construction. So, um, and that's what, you know, we learn in construction management. And that's just how I, only way I know to build. Um, document, um, you know, be fair, have everything in writing. Um, now I started realizing as a homeowner in my early mid twenties, that when I started hiring other companies to do projects at my home, I'm like, this isn't the norm. I, I don't even know when they're going to come. I would get change orders for things that I didn't even, and it's already done. And I didn't know that, you know, this was a problem. Um, communication was lacking and and I said, this guy, you know, is this, this how it is in residential construction? And so when we, I always knew there was a problem in residential that needed to be solved. And someone needs to come in here and clean this industry up. It's really the wild west. Um, so when we started our company, I took all the same processes I did at commercial. I was running um, a uh, 180,000 square foot uh, renovation for PG&E before I started this company. I took all the same processes I did. Okay, here's our critical path schedule. I was using P6 scheduling software at that time. I was, uh, I was doing weekly meetings. I was going, you know, change orders and stuff. And so 
that was what I knew. And also when I did this, our clients were like, oh my God, this guy has it together. Really, I'm just doing my job. So um, the biggest challenge in residential construction is, is running. There's plenty of good contractors around. There's lots of them. They know how to build. But running a business and, client, and communicating with clients is like foreign to, I swear, 90% of the contractors in, this, in, in our region, maybe probably countrywide. Um, and so when I find companies like, like you, Ryan, like KHB, it's like, hey, we align on these values and we understand how to run a business and deliver, a, and most importantly, deliver an experience to your customer that's enjoyable or as enjoyable as it can be. You know, I really align and I, I find I want more companies like ours. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, it does a service to the industry that we're in, I think, as well, because uh, the bar is super, super, super low. And when we started KHB Construction, similar thing, we had some more um, employee oriented, you know, missions that we wanted to accomplish with our business model. But truthfully, like you walk into a, a pre-con meeting or even the initial job walk and you have your process and you have an example of what a critical path schedule looks like and how we're going to manage this. How we, how do we get this project to success? And homeowners are like blown away, you know, <laughs> like they've never yeah. seen that before. They're used to a guy like showing up and, and like a, almost like a cable guy, you know, time block of, you know, <laughs> I'll be there between eight and two, you know, and I'll see you when I see you. So yeah, the bar is super low in our industry. And I, and likewise, I, I love that you guys are, are on the ball and really taking care of the industry in your area. Well, and I think, I think that things have to change and it because, so my dad was chucking a truck, right? My dad, he didn't use scheduling software. He didn't even have a cell phone, right? It was the eighties and the nineties. So things have changed and these projects have gotten increasingly complicated where the fact is that back in 1995, even near 2000, when you're doing a kitchen remodel, it was okay. We got maple cabinets. We have either black granite counters or tile. There's three backsplash choices and you got your white appliances. That's it, right? And there was like three sink choices. Things have gotten, I, I think, extremely complicated. I think it's cool. I like building complicated things, but there's an endless design choices. And I think a lot of that's been fueled by social media of people going on Pinterest and how's and, and having really high-end design available to the average consumer has pushed a lot of these chuck and truck contractors out where there's so many details, you, and you have to be process driven, you have to have a designer involved, um, and you have to be able to manage that process. And so anything larger than a bathroom remodel, like I, in my opinion, should be run by a design and contractor team that is process oriented and can put all those pieces together. Yeah, I 100% agree. What's tough for me, because I think about the market of like people that, you know, there's the want and there's the need, right? Um, the need is, you know, the restoration company, uh, you know, flood damage or my kitchen caught on fire. Cause my kid actually, I listened to a story this morning mm -hmm. where a kid, uh, locked the oven, put it on self-clean mode, but he didn't know there was a big pot of oil in there. And he like lit the oh, whole shoot. kitchen on fire. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh. But so the want first need, and like, we're kind of in the want market, if you will, like people don't mm -hmm. need necessarily, um, the service that we offer but they want it. And I think it is a product of you know, consumerism and whatever, um, house, Pinterest, uh, keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality. Um, and in that industry, we usually do hit a different type of clientele, right? So like our ideal customer for us is, you know, someone in their mid fifties or older, um, no kids in the home, 
um, ideally has multiple sources of income, making at least three, four hundred thousand or more a year, home value six hundred thousand or higher, um, and you get a certain type of class of people that expect a certain type of service. And what I've found, and I'm interested to get your take on this, is what do you see in like your existing customers? If you could replicate your ideal customer, what type of attributes do they have that really fit your process? And what are the red flags for you when you're walking into a home and you're just kind of like, this isn't going to work out? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's good you asked that question because a year ago, I probably couldn't answer this question. But last year, I had to sit down and I said, I need to figure out who are our best customers and who we we fit the best with. Um, And we found there's two demographics. And you mentioned one demographic that we fit in well with. And the other, so we have a segment A and segment B buyer. The segment A buyer is someone you know, mid thirties, this is maybe their second home uh, that they've purchased. Um, and they mid thirties to, you know, early fifties, maybe late forties in that range, husband, husband, wife or partners or however that is. And they have achieved a level in their career where they're an executive, um, usually both partners work um, and they are very tech savvy. They're very design savvy. And that's where we really fit in. They want a high-end design. They want to. They want. They expect the communication. They want a schedule. They want you know software behind their company to to, to deliver you know communication. That's um, I would say seventy-five percent of our clientele. The other group, and in this clientele, you know, they're, they're home in our region. We're we're not far away from you guys, but their home values are you know eight fifty plus. Um, the, the other segment is the segment B buyer. And they're retirees, they're um, or close to retirement, um, their kids are out of the house, they um, are maybe working with an interior designer who recommended us, and they really want to, they want to trust someone. They want to say, hey, this is someone I trust in my home, and they're going to give me a, I trust they're going to give me a fair value for my project. I trust that they're going to do a good job. And this is my forever home. You've talked about this before, Ryan, um, you know, forever home or five-year home. Um, this is their forever home. So the investment makes sense to them. Um, red flags for us. Um, I would never work for myself. So kind of a red flag is, hey, I'm in the industry. You know, I've done this before. Yeah, I hear those things, right? I've, I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. I'm a contractor. You know, why, why do you need us? You don't need us. I'm happy to help you. I'll, I'll give you references for a tile guy or whatever you need. And it's nothing offensive, but you're not going to like our price because you don't need us and you know better than us. That makes sense. Um, so that's always a red flag or, um, you know, there's, there's certain social media platforms that people write reviews on that I try to stay away from because those are people that if one little thing goes wrong, they're going to give you a one-star review. I'll say it, the Yelpers, it, right? Yeah. It's your podcast. You put the words out. Um, so there's, a, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I use Yelp, but um, there's some red flags there sometimes. So we always like to work with um, our clients and it kind of segues into our process. And we have a pre-construction process and a construction process. They're two separate agreements. Um, and so it's a two-way interview. I think a lot of clients tend to get caught up in like they're interviewing the contractor. We're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing us because we're in a long-term relationship and we're getting on a bus and we're going to go down this road of a uh, six-month design process, you know, six months of construction. 
a year of warranty and then all the barbecues and you know parties after right set the table for that your average job size you typically do full home renovations or custom builds so what's your average you know project uh, duration and average job size just so people don't think you know a kitchen remodel is going to take them you know six months yeah i and, and so and we talk averages we still do we still do 125,000 dollars kitchen remodels you know those those come through our our, our doors every once in a while um but our average job size is you know three hundred thousand dollars and up um and we only do we only do like between 12 and 15 projects a year like we're really we're really you know kind of boutique in that in that manner so I say we do, let's say 15 jobs, an average of $300,000 is kind of where we're at our, our volume size. Um, and that, that allows us to really focus on those projects because they do take a lot more. Um, I, I mean, we just did a $3,000 project for a client. I'm not saying we don't do small stuff. It's just always not in the best interest of cost. We'll do a great job, but it's probably going to cost long, cost more and probably take longer because we have three trades involved in that job. Yeah, I usually tell homeowners that are looking for, you know, a faucet replacement or a toilet replacement or whatever it may be, something small. Um, we just, we're not the right fit because it's an in-service to you as a homeowner. Like we are built for the design build. I'm not, I'm not a handyman service, right? We actually started. But you have to, go ahead. Yeah, you have to tread carefully with that because, again, you got the Yelpers who will call you and they'll say, the right you one star review because I called KHP and they said my job was too small for them. So it's just, it's really like there's nothing too small for us. I'm happy to do your project. It just might not make the most sense. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I have a list of guys I refer out. We actually, we tried starting a little handyman arm of our company called next day fix. Um, but the name was a little bit, uh, well, honestly got busy enough where it was misleading because we couldn't get to it <laughs> the next day. So, uh, but yeah, it just wasn't in our niche and I agree. You got to stick, stick to your lane and do what you do best, which is, Obviously, with your guys' background, large-scale residential remodels and custom builds, which is great. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of asked the question, like, what are we trying to fix in our industry? Like, I'm trying to elevate our industry and make it so that because there's still a perception that construction is a commodity and that we're all created equal and that just get the lowest price or the second, the middle price and just go with them. We're not all equal. And... And we need to be better as an industry of telling that story and being better and like, and like elevating ourselves to a higher standard. You know, this is technical work. In my opinion, construction companies take some of the most risk of any companies on in the country. It's right up there with open heart surgery, right? We're working on people's houses with live gas lines, no little kids in the house. Like that is very risky work and we should be trained properly and compensated properly. 100%. The big issue is how do you educate the masses in that? I mean, I, I, we follow each other on social media. You know what we kind of put out here as far as educational content, trying to be yeah, yeah. very real about price, real about the experience of a renovation, because I feel like most of the population is just kind of ignorant to our world. You know, they don't, they don't live it. They don't breathe it. They usually do one remodel one time, and that's the last mm -hmm. time they're going to do it if they're doing it right. So, yeah, that's... That's huge. And I 100% agree that and a similar mission that we have here, uh, changing the industry as far as expectations, as far as uh, communication, quality of work, customer experience, employee experience, uh, all those things were, were in our mission when we, when we set out on this. And with that, the biggest one for us was employees. And I know you have a mix, right? You guys do self-perform some finished stuff. 
obviously all the management is by Tankersley. Uh, you guys use trade partners as well. Whereas we self-perform right now, we're actually like a 70-30 split um, this year so far. What do you see the benefits um, of using trade partners? And not a trap question at all, because we use trade partners. They're very valuable. What led you to that business model? Well, you know, my, my time in commercial construction, we, I worked for all union companies that self-performed carpentry. Um, we had union carpenters and I always had, I learned a lot in that, that by self-performing, especially carpentry, which is one of your critical path trades, you can really control the schedule and the quality of your project and, you know, hopefully increase in profit. So I have a lot of respect for companies that self-perform a lot. And, you know, if I could have it any way, I would want to self-perform everything. I think that's an awesome model if you can make it work. Um, when we first started out, we're doing small bathroom models. We self-perform plumbing, electrical, and drywall and everything, right? Um, because that's the only way it makes sense to do these projects that are thirty or $40,000. Um, the reason why we don't do that anymore, as far as we got away from a lot of those trades, was it's just too hard to find someone that really knows electrical or really knows plumbing those trades and keep them busy for 40 hours a week. Um, you have to be doing a lot of volume. You guys do a lot more volume than we do as far as number of projects and it works. Um, it just, it, it's just hard to keep them busy. And I found that, um, you know, we, 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 we track costs and I found that our guys who were doing plumbing personally, um, that we were ending up, ending up with all kinds of extra materials. I still have a whole warehouse full of plumbing fittings and electrical and stuff that we overbought. And when you job cost it, it was costing us the same just to hire a plumber. Um, but you know, there's downside is, is, um, you know, we're at their we're at the mercy of their schedule and, uh, and all that. Right. So we self-perform carpentry. When I say carpentry, we really focus on trim and, and finish carpentry. Um, we're not going to frame a house. We're not going to frame an addition. Um, we'll, we do some, our guys, uh, I don't want to say we, cause I'm not out there doing this work, but our guys will do some amazing trim work. You go to our website, we have our Instagram pictures of that anything you see pretty much on there our guys did um we're not building cabinets in-house um would like to one day that'd be cool but um we're installing cabinets crown molding wainscoting trim and um to the point where we've got a reputation with designers in town that they refer us we just we're finishing up a new build right now for another contractor that hired us to do all the trim work in the whole house so we were a subcontractor so that's speaks a lot to how we how we execute on quality on trim and the work, because that's what you see on the end of the project. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's the, the final stamp of your, of your brand right there is that finish. Um, what are you guys' plans with, you know, like having a CNC machine, right. For cabinets, do you guys plan on, you know, staying locally? Uh, do you guys plan on expanding? Uh, what are you guys' goals as a company? Yeah. Um, that's, that's something that, um, I ask myself a lot, right. I, you remember my story back, I kind of fell into this business in 2017 and started it. It's a full-fledged business. We're one of the top, if not the top, uh, residential contractor in Sacramento. Um, where we're going to go, you know, we don't want to take over the world. I don't, I, we have no plans or desires to open other offices or expand outside the Sacramento region. Um, we're really family-focused, and I do this job to, um, you know, there's a couple of reasons, right? I do it to to give the life to my family and our employees' families that we want to give, right? So that means time and adequate compensation and, and not have to travel, right? 
Um, the other part of that is I love what I do. I love the projects I do. I love our clients. And I feel like if you get too big, you start losing track of that. You have clients you never meet um, and you lose that sense. So our plans are we want to stay in that 12 to 15 projects a year goal. Obviously, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. We want to inc increase our revenue. We've been the, you know, we've been on the fastest growing business list for three years in a row for Sacramento Business Journal. We've seen triple digit growth every single year since we started. Um, that's awesome. That's cool, but it's not sustainable. Companies who do that, they, you can't keep doing that for 10 years. Um, we want to increase our average project size. And we're doing that through getting into more whole home remodels, more seven figure projects, more custom homes, because that is where we shine as delivering that luxury experience to our clients. Um, and so we're going to increase our revenue, not through more projects, just larger projects. I like that. Yeah. Like the quality of project, the job size, that's huge. And, you know, obviously when we talk, that's something we struggle with over here as well. And I think you guys have done a great job of putting out what you want to receive, especially on social media, you know, uh, all your guys' content, all your guys' finished photos, projects are just real top notch. And so I, I think you're not going to have a problem, you know, raising that average job size with the type of content you're putting out. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an old guard, obviously there's, um, in Sacramento, there is a group of, I would say five to eight home builders who, who've been doing this and they're good. Right. And they've been doing this for 25 years and they're, 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 they're good for a reason. Um, but these companies don't have succession plans. These companies aren't going to be around in 10 years, not because they failed, because their owners are in their 60s and their 70s. And so who's going to step in and fill this niche? Um, there's not a whole lot of companies stepping in in our market, actually nationwide. For every six people leaving the trades, you have one coming in. So there's a huge opportunity if you are listening to this podcast to start a business, like join the industry, join the trade, start a business because um, there's, there's only more and more population growth and less and less contractors. So where we see is, um, you know, we're going to fill that niche and there's some good builders in our area, but you know, again, they're not going to be around forever. Yeah. hundred percent. And for the people that are starting their business, if they're even going to like a specific, you know, C license working with a contractor, you know, like Tankers Lee Construction or, or our outfit, our outfit here at KHB, um, it really helps those businesses as well. And I'm sure you have many stories of trade partners you worked with that, you know, they're probably asking, uh, well, how do you do this? How do you manage this? How do you, you know, how did you build your Gantt schedule? What program are you using for this? So it really does better the industry by having, you know, a solid you know, GC in the scene, um, which we've seen here as well. All of our trade partners, I probably meet with them at least biweekly. I'm talking to most of them. And I had a walk with our, our one of our drywall subs yesterday. And we're going to go out there and do some media for him and his company, you know. And awesome. So it's, it's really fun having having that that relationship, right? Because at some point they come, they are just as important as employees, you know, your trade relationships. Yeah. Uh, they're on every project that you're on. Well, it's a funny, it's a, it's a funny topic you mentioned and, and the trade partners we work with, a lot of them we worked with since I first started on first project. Um, and we've, we, we have lost some and, you know, I mentioned we're trying to better our industry and we're trying to push forward. That makes some people uncomfortable. Um, it makes some of the, the old school guys like, they're just like, hey, I'm not going to get with the program. I'm not using, you know, we use Builder Trend. We're not using that. And it's like, okay, we'll make accommodations to a certain extent. Um, one of the things we did 
couple of years ago was we rolled out a trade partner uh, sub-trade agreement. And it's really, you know, everything was a handshake deal before. Well, now that it's spelled out what our expectations are and what they're what they should expect from us as far as payment goes and how, you know, scheduling goes and communication. So the two way street protects us both. We roll this out. We met with each trade partner individually and like literally some of these guys who we've worked with and done hundreds of thousands of dollars in work. They read this and they said, I'm not signing this F you and your trade partner agreement. We're not working together anymore. And there's nothing in there that was egregious. It said, like, you can't smoke on the job site like like uh, you can't um, drink at the job site. Like I'm not saying these guys were doing that, but they wouldn't sign it. Like what, what in here is it that you can't agree to? So holding people to a higher standard is gonna make people uncomfortable. You're not gonna make a lot, um, you might lose some friends. You know, look, we've, we've, we've done a really good job in our industry. We've done a good job of growing our company. I'm sure there's haters out there. I know there are, um, and it makes people uncomfortable. 100%, yeah, my thing, so like, I have a huge issue with authority, right? So I could see, you know, on their end, even if it's just really holding them accountable to the expectations you want to keep with your customer, as we've gone through, like, so we started in 2020. So two years after you guys did, um, and there's always going to be a churn when you're starting out, right? I think we still have, we have the core of our, of our trade partners as the same, but like we've gone through a few painters, right? We've gone through a couple drywall subs, um, because it just doesn't align all the time. And honestly, mm-hmm. if we're out there promising rainbows and sunshine to our homeowners and this great experience, and one of our trade partners doesn't align with our vision for that project, like that, it, it's not acceptable. You know, it's not acceptable. And in this world, I mean, we are peers in the industry, but the GCs run the project and it's the GCs project. So kind of yeah. simulate or go home. In my opinion. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you guys self-perform? So we self-perform demolition. Um, we self-perform framing. Um, we do all of our own plumbing, electrical, um, drywall we've stayed away from. We will do like a small project of drywall, so like a bathroom. But we'll usually like insulate and hang if we're doing a full home renovation and then have our tape and texture come in. Um, we do all of our finish work, so carpentry, uh, we just had an acquisition of a flooring company, so we're doing all flooring. Um, and they also have a tile license with solid surface, um, so that's in the works right now. Is hopefully getting a, a full tile crew on on board. Um, let's see, painting small projects. We usually sub out paint as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cabinetry, we sub out uh, countertop fabrication, um, roofing. We will tie in a roof, but if we're doing a whole home, we sub it out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a decent amount. Like I said, we're, we're about, right now, we're like 70% weight on a project. Um, but we also, we self-manage everything. So, we have a site superintendent that is on every project. We have a production manager that's overseeing the schedule, critical path, overseeing the budgets, the gross margin, um, and then stepping into that training role in the field. Um, really getting our new guys when we hire them up to speed on the trades they need to be good at. Um, and then we also have a project manager. So we have a three-tier management system. So we have our director of operations. We have the project manager, production manager, and a superintendent. And all four of them kind of have like, I call it like the blinders, right? So the superintendent, he has the five-day blinders on. The production manager has like the quarter blinders on. 
the project manager has like the three to six month picture. And then the director is obviously steering our annual goals, quarterly goals. Um, and that's kind of how we structured our management team. Yeah, we're, we're very similar. Um, you guys might self-perform a little more than we do, but um, very similar structure. And, you know, that team of management is, you, you, you struck on that. That's what's delivering the customer experience. That's what's separating us from the chuck in the truck, right? Like just having someone who can answer the phones, having someone. So we had it recently, uh, we had a roof leak at a project we finished three years ago. So we're outside of our warranty period. Um, got a roof leak from the client on a bathroom model. We were there within, I'm, I'm not joking, 15 minutes of getting the call. We were there. We got the roof leak mitigated so it didn't come in anymore. And that was on Friday. And then today our roofer was there to diagnose the issue and we're going to fix it for him. Right. But that, you know, that's where you get that next level of communication because it was Chuck in a truck. You left three messages. You hear from him in two weeks. Meanwhile, the water's still coming in. That's what you hear about all the time. Uh, we were there in 15 minutes, you know, so um, we can deliver that, that elevated experience, but it's going to cost more. It's going to cost more than Chuck in a truck. And let's so. touch on that. So when we started, I had a lot of, uh, I don't know about you right now. I, I can't afford to build my forever home, right? I can't go drop two, $3 million on the home. I would love to live in the rest of my life. And when I first started out doing all the sales specifically, I had a hard time, you know, selling these multi six figure projects. And I know the way we started, it was just me and my business partner, Bobby, right? We built out an org chart. We assigned the roles we assigned SOPs to those roles, to these imaginary employees, right? And then obviously we, we set a salary to those positions as well, right? Because a project manager needs to make at least X amount a year, production manager, superintendent, field employees, a bookkeeper. Um, on our list was a videographer who's behind the camera right now, uh, direct marketing director, all this stuff, right? They have, and we built basically our annual overhead. You know, we took that, divided it by 240 working days in a year, we got our day rate, um, our hard cost of overhead, and then we started adding in wages while we were in the field. And so how we got to be, like we were expensive when we were a two-man show, right? Because I was charging the same day rate I charge now, actually, um, in 2020. And so when you built out this, when you were doing kitchens on the side, like what was your, your insight into what you're going to charge? Were you just strictly cost plus at that point or... Was it still yeah. fixed price? So everything we've done has always been fixed price. Um, and, you know, our first project, when it's just you, it doesn't matter how much time you spend. On, I mean, it matters but how much time you spend on it because it's just you, right? So if you make $20,000 on a project and you, you worked it in three months, that's pretty good, right? That's, that's, you know. We made our best money in the first four months of running this. Yeah. And we were making, we were making first year, very profitable, right? I was a sole proprietor. I had, you know, limited amount of employees. Employees were billable by hour to the job. So uh, when I made 25 grand on a job, that was great because I had no office. I was running out of my house. My truck was paid for. It was basically $25,000 in the bank. Um, as you grow as a company, like that changes. And, um, you know, our, all of our projects, you know, we track hourly and, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, we shoot to make, we want to make 10% net on a project at the end of the day. And I think anyone listening to this can agree that in any business you're in making 10% net is a very fair 
That's very fair. I don't care if you're selling widgets or whatever it is, right? Um, construction is one of those industries when you're running a company, a real company with nine trucks on the road and you've got offices, it's expensive. Insurance is expensive. Everything is expensive. Phones and gas. I mean, our bills for gas is astronomical, right? And so um, you have to be able to deliver something else that, that your competitor who doesn't have that overhead can deliver. So, um, you know, looking at it, we went, we sat down about two months ago, Heather and I, and what's our burden rate for our, our, uh, carpenters and our office manager and, you know, like our project managers, I was thinking, okay, burden rate for our carpenters is like 65 bucks an hour. That's like wages and benefits and truck. Like it's our cost on that is $90 an hour. So if we're not billing a minimum $90 an hour for this carpenter, we're losing money, yeah. right? See, right? Yeah. And so clients want to know why is their kitchen a hundred thousand dollars? Well, I've got carpenters out there. I got two of them for a three weeks installing cabinets and doing millwork. Do the math. That's just the carpenters. Add it all up, and then we want to try to make a profit on its job at the end of the year. So, um, when I was when I was in school for construction management, one of the things I remember it stuck out my stuck out my head from my professor was. The sec, the industry with the most failure in, you know, most turnover businesses that close in the United States is restaurants. That's number one. The number two is construction companies. And I don't know about you, but if I'm spending $500,000 or $100,000 or I don't spend $15,000, I don't care what it is. I want that company to be there in a year, five years, 10 years, because, you know, like for me, I'm building a pool at my house right now. If that pool cracks in five years or something happens, I want to be able to call that company that did it have some someone behind it um and um i think that there's a one of the things in our industry the problem is is like that perception is i gotta get three bids and i gotta compare don't get me wrong like it's good to talk to three contractors and you harp on this a lot ryan you do a really good job about this you should probably talk to three or more contractors now getting three accurate proposals is a different story and even if you did what does it matter? Like if you can trust this person and they have a good reputation, they're charging a fair value. They're charging what they need to do to stay in business and make a money and, and, you know, make profit and have, um, you know, a nice 401k for their employees and stuff. If that's important to you, then go with who you want. Um, the best analogy I've heard is like, you wouldn't shop three bids for a tattoo. Would you like, right. like who, who, who goes, who does that? Is right. Yeah. Who has the like, cheapest ribeye? That's like, I mean. oh, can you be a bit for this tattoo? Like, no, this is a permanent thing. You spend a lot of money on it. Now, um, money is obviously important. And at the end of the day, we're all buying the same materials and pulling the same labor pool. We shouldn't be, you know, 50% off of each other, but 10, 15% is pretty common. Yeah. Um, Especially before design's done, right? That's my biggest pet peeve right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm in a run of, of homeowners that uh, just want to get their three, five, 10, 15 bids or whatever they're looking for. And I just straight up have been telling them like, you're, what is this going to do for you? Like, what's the end goal in getting this many prices? Like, have you been burnt before? Right. Is this your first renovation? Have you ever done something like this? Um, because without a thorough, accurate design of what they want this remodel to accomplish, every single contractor is going to be bidding what they're used to putting in. Right. So that might be a chuck in a truck that's doing $40,000 kitchen remodels. And it's like, well, my kitchens are usually 120, 
right? I'm not bidding yeah. out for prefabricated slabs here and RTA cabinets from Home Depot. Like, so that's my biggest harp right now that I've been telling homeowners is, and actually thanks to our meeting we had a few weeks ago, uh, I'm going to be changing a little bit of process with that design, but let's just get design done, right? Let's mm -hmm. just get this done, then go give it to three, five, 10 different contractors. And the price discrepancy is going to be a lot tighter because yeah. everyone's going to have a different overhead burn. Everyone's going to have, you know, different goals with their company, but at least we're all bidding a common truth here and we're not just shooting in the dark. Or yeah, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but we buy all our materials except for appliances. Um, and so when you look at our number, we're talking all inclusive. It's everything. It's, and it's not in most of our competitors, especially in kitchen bathroom remodeling industry is owner furnished tile, owner furnished cabinet, owner furnished plumbing fixtures. And that's such a variable. What do you think that's going to cost you? And clients don't have any idea. I don't know, 10, 20, 50,000. I don't know. And I don't know either. It's not specified. Right. Because yeah, if yeah. I'm not buying it, I'm not warranting. Exactly. So what happens? And I always ask a client, so what happens to you buy that shower valve? And it's defective and it's already behind tile. All that tile has to get removed to fix the shower valve that you bought. Who's going to replace, who's going to cost to, you know, who's going to pay to replace all the tile. And they're always like, well, you know, let's just hope that doesn't happen. Well, certainly let's hope that doesn't happen. But how about you go with someone who can stand behind everything. So if there is an issue, there's no finger pointing. Yeah. And if you're going to spend 40 grand, like 40 grand, 100 grand, 500,000, whatever it may be. It's really drops in a bucket when you're thinking about peace of mind and longevity yeah, of the yeah. project, you know, like that example is perfect. You know, our showers, you know, tile, labor and materials alone, it's usually like between 8,500 to 13,000 for a standard shower. Mm -hmm. uh, I would hate to have to do that to someone. Like if they bought their own material, I would almost feel bad. Like, so right. It makes for an awkward conversation. It does. And I address that head up and we don't actually there's been a few acceptance, but we don't let homeowners buy their own materials anymore, specifically for those reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, we've had enough. And if you do this long enough, you're going to have those stories and it doesn't help anyone. And so when we talk about elevating the industry, it's like, Hey, let's, as a, as contractors, let's figure out ways to buy these materials. But the problem is when you're buying materials, we just did a million dollar renovation and I mean, finishes were insane, right? And it's, it's, you know, $2,400 faucet for the kitchen, right? That stuff, you got to be able to inventory it. You have to be able to inspect it for damage. You have to have a place to store it. So it just takes you to another level. It's easy to say, oh yeah, owner furnished stuff, have it here at the job site. Um, that doesn't work because inevitably the faucet scratched when it got there and then you put it in, the client's blaming you because you scratched the faucet and you're saying it was already scratched or, you know, like it, it, just eliminate that stuff. So if you're listening to this podcast, again, you're a contractor, stop doing owner furnished stuff, buy it, inventory it, deliver a service to your client because most clients, honestly, they don't want to go to five tile stores, buy a tile, get it in their car, deliver it. They're just like, yeah, you're going to handle that. Great. Thank you. Thank we you. talked about a red flag earlier. That's a red flag for me. When homeowners are like, can I buy all the materials? Can I do the demolition? It's like, if you have to ask of ways to you know, shortcut this price, this isn't something that you need right now, yeah. right? Does your, does your kitchen still work? You just were on HGTV and you really want what you want, but you don't have the money to pay for it. Don't do it, right? Because you're going to end up cutting corners. You're going to go with uh, maybe an unreputable or someone that won't stand behind their work. And it's just going to cost you way more money in the long run. Or you're just going to be pissed exactly. off the whole time, you know? And that's just not fun either. You, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned kind of some of the challenges in our industry. And I think 
one of the biggest things I love HGTV because it's done a lot for our industry, but I also kind of have a hate relationship with it too. And the only information that's out there is bad information. And like when you talk about um, project pricing, especially, so, you know, I'll see flip or flop, right? It comes up. We did this whole house remodel for $60,000. It was filmed in 2012, number one. Uh, number two, that's, you know, material only because labor is comps. Like, I don't know where these numbers come from, but it's not even in, in a realm of reality, right? And so when I love, I hate being the first contractor who gets interviewed on a job, make me last because when you're first and you, people are like, I want this and this and this, and that, that's great. That all sounds awesome. That sounds like a $180,000 renovation. Um, clients will kind of just like, whoa, step back or like think that I'm feeding them a line of BS. And it's, it's reality. It's like what these projects are costing. And what I tell people right now is right now is the cheapest time to build the next 10 years because I hear it all the time. Hey, let's hold off on this project. Wait for prices to come down. Why do you think prices would come down? Again, we have six people leaving the industry for every one coming in. You know, material prices aren't really changing. Once we figured out we can charge, you know, $80 a sheet for plywood, you think it's going to change that much? It's just like, yeah. So what's going to change? You have people leaving. Prices are not coming down. And regulations and um, industry standards from, you know, Title 24 and stuff are going to get tighter and tighter. So it's going to be more expensive to build. So right now, you know, it's, again, it's the cheapest time to build and maybe, maybe this project isn't right for you. hundred percent. Yeah. We're seeing that right now, even just with dealing with cities and counties and permit submittal for the smallest of projects, you know, the $40,000 hall bathroom, um, we're looking at almost full plan checks for a like for like bathroom remodel, oh, yeah. you know, where it should just be really an MEP and pan inspection, um, yeah, and I think that it is a part of that old guard that, you know, retired after COVID in the building departments and you have a new, you know, influx of college graduates in the planning and building and they're just going by the book. Or third and party that's plan fine. check. The third party plan check is is it's slowed down a little bit for us at least, but that was a headache. That was such a mess. Well, they get paid by comment. So, you know, you can only imagine what you get back. Man, when we had like we had like three revisions on one project, three red lines. And every single time it was just something that was like, we got red line for a grammar error from our architect. I was like, are you kidding me guys? Like, let's go. Don't get me started on that because that's a whole thing where you get three revisions. Now the client's looking at you like, are you messing up? Like they're losing faith in you because they're like, you know what you're doing. And it's just like, you don't know what we're getting put through right now. This is not normal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've erred on the page of uh, full transparency on that process as well. I'll straight up forward on the emails. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. carbon copy them. Same thing with the price. I'm actually right now, when homeowners are asking about price and margin, all this stuff, I just print out our margin. I print out our margin, our projected net, critical path, gross profit over duration. I give them the keys, right? It's like I have, because that's another, another stigma that, you know, I used to do lump sum pricing nothing line itemed and like the price is the price. What do you want to do? Right. Kind of a strong arm, more approach, um, more of approach of a confidence side where now I'm, I'm so confident in our brand and in our mission and our company that like, you could, you want my, you want my QuickBooks login, you know, like you, you want to check this thing <laughs> out. Like, uh, just because I, that's another huge issue I'm seeing from homeowners and it's a really big trust building thing. Cause 
there's a stigma around talking around money, right? And my, I kind of reduce it down to, you know, this is going to cost money. You know, we're a for-profit business. Mm-hmm. What's the problem, right? Like, let's move forward. Yeah. I, I, and I, you know, I have a little, I, I totally appreciate that train of thought. I went the opposite direction. I used to do all line item estimates and, um, I don't do that anymore, but we have a, we, we are very transparent in the fact that we'll, we'll show back up. Like here's our plumbing fixture order. Here's my cost on it. Here is our lumber order. Here's our cost on that. And they're kind of allowances. And in that budgeting phase, we go through and we we're very transparent what our costs are on things. And they can see that on their $400,000 renovation, we have $120,000 in hard finished material costs. That's cabinets, counters, you know, no labor, no markup, anything on that. And that way that helps the client understand of, because inevitably the first question is, how do I scale this project back? And it's always goes to the finishes. Well, what if I pick a different countertop? What if I do a different count tile? And you can see on that, like what our cost is for the countertop. It's $2,500 a slab. If you go to a $2,000 slab, you know, you're going to save $1,000, right? Uh, because you have two slabs. So they can see that and it's transparent. But again, we are not a cost plus contractor. Um, and so I, we are lump sum because it does give us, number one, it does us focus on the project and executing it and not so much of giving every receipt. It synthesizes you as well. One of the things I wanted to hit home too is you get those, the client, you get those three bids. Let's say you get them all and you know one's low, you throw it out, you go with the middle guy, whatever your process is. Um, I think it's important to like go with who you feel comfortable with. I, I you trust they're delivering a, a value. Obviously, you want to make sure your, your money is being appropriated, you know, correctly. But the problem I see is just that, you know, you you want a like you want a trade partner who's successful in business, who is gonna be there to deliver like a good experience for their employees, benefits, right? Nice trucks. Like those are the things you want that we all work in our own, our own society, our own little um, towns. Right. And so we want people to, you know, put money back. I don't want, I don't want my employees living hand to mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's important for clients to look at this and be like, okay, this is someone I trust is they're going to do a good job. Yeah. They might be a little more expensive, but you know, in the end, I'm going to have a good experience. If I don't, I have someone to, to yell at, right? Um, but, and as a as a contractor, there's a lot of head trash out there where they're like, they feel like they have to give their customer a deal. They have to get the price knocked down, save them money. I, I agree with that to a certain extent, but you're not doing your customer a service by undercutting your price because you're just going to, not ever be able to hire people to help you with things, help you with the office or grow or get a nicer truck that's in the oil in their driveway. Like you're just not doing anyone a service by cutting your pricing because it's just a race to the bottom. So I think as an industry, we need to just elevate it and treat ourselves as professionals we are. And you're setting a precedence when you do that as well, right? Um, One of the biggest things throughout sales training that I've been in is that they follow our process. And if we follow their process, that we're at the mercy of really how they want things to go, which is obviously going to be heavily biased in their view, right? Cheapest price, best service, best quality. Um, and so, yeah, we need to stick, stick true to your process, stick true to your price, but also deliver. Right. And that's where the brand and the reputation comes in, the social proof, uh, like, like you guys have up there. So yeah, that's, that's huge. I agree. 
But yeah, you have to be able to deliver. And that's the biggest thing is if you're going to charge a premium price or a premium service, you better deliver a premium service. And I, I feel like we do. I'm not perfect. Our company is not perfect. We've had instances well, where obviously structure is not perfect. Yeah. I, I think is. every, every, I would, I'm going to be truth and speak truth on this podcast that at any given time, there's probably a customer who's upset with us about something. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of our, our, our industry. And if you have all your clients always happy with you, you're lying or you need to write a book. And like, it, it's just the reality because this is a very stressful industry. And I'm sure you, Ryan, have some customers who are not happy with you. It doesn't mean you're a bad contractor. It doesn't mean they're not going to be happy with you at the end of the project. Um, but there's going to be instances, you know, particularly drywall, where they're kind of frustrated. Yeah. And it's a learning experience. I mean, it's a, it's a lesson in one process, right? So we have a weekly meeting. We have leadership meeting. We have uh, team meetings. And in those meetings, it's like I go through the woos and the boos. Like what's really good? What kind of sucks? You know? And all the things that suck, right? I write them down. And anything that can be really taken care of in a process or a system or some sort of uh, SOP gets taken care of and it's never a problem, it's never a problem again, right? Uh, especially with those customer-facing things. Because really, if you're we're, with companies like ourselves, I feel like we're 90% of the way there, right? And there's just that 10% of bridging the gap. Um, it, the tough part about that 10% is every single homeowner interprets value differently, right? Some, it might be communication. Some, it might be job site cleanliness. Sometimes it might be um, the accent wall coming out exactly how that 3D rendering looked. Um, mm-hmm. It's just finding that 10% of how that customer perceives value and then doubling down on that homeowners, the way they're going to intake that. Um, it's not a science. It can't be, it, there's no process for it, right? Every customer is different. Everyone yeah. wants something different. So one, one contractor I know, like I, it's a great idea. I wrote it down and he said that they, uh, they'll deliver uh, a pizza from Chicago, right? You get overnighted. <laughs> And on their first night in their home and he gets it at, the, it's at their doorstep. Right. And you get that Chicago pizza. I'm like, man, that's a good idea. So it's, how can you go to another level? How could you deliver yeah. that extra luxury experience? You just set yourself apart. We do cookies now. Yeah. We give cookies out. Uh, even so we have a termination in our CRM, right? Project completed good project completed bad. Um, which is essentially two different workflows on how we're going to touch this customer. Mm-hmm. Like from this point forward, we might be way more assertive with like, how can we help you? Is there anything we can do to better your experience uh, for the customer bad and for the customer good? It's a handwritten card. It's the cookies. You know, it's the, your, your kitchen's so beautiful. We love it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, not blah, 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 but like all the other jargon that comes with that. Um, because we're trying to get down to like the psychographics of what is a good customer for us? What is a bad customer for us? And then how do we just keep putting the good customer on repeat? And like, that's essentially marketing strategy in a nutshell, I guess. But it's like the never ending equation because the buyers change too. Like I've been with some buyers that are in their late twenties and somehow they have, you know, a quarter million dollars to do this remodel and their wants and needs and how they perceive value is completely different than our typical ideal customer. And our process, like they just like want to text update. They want builder trend app, you know, to show the schedule next day and they're good. We're like this customer over here wants a superintendent to come in, shake their hand every morning, introduce the guys, you know, Cup show them exactly what we're down. doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different, whole different buyer. Yeah. It's weird. Well, man, I'm going to wrap us up here. I know you got a busy day. I got stuff to do as well. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. 
uh, wealth of knowledge, really successful contractor up there in Sacramento. We will put your YouTube and your Instagram in the in the uh, podcast description here. So everyone go follow Tankersley Construction. They got some beautiful projects. And until next time, thanks, man. Thank you, Ryan. All right, see ya.